The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hey, so before we get started, I wanted to talk to you guys about Disney Plus. Now, I know by now you've probably heard about Disney Plus, the new streaming service that includes Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and National Geographic. With all these amazing brands in one place, Disney Plus has one of the most incredible libraries in the entire streaming landscape, and it's all ad-free. From classics like Snow White to today's blockbusters like Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame. The content on Disney Plus is truly unparalleled. And if all that isn't enough, Disney Plus even has originals like The Mandalorian, the first live-action Star Wars series. So don't miss out. Go and sign up today and start streaming and tell them Hayes sent you. What's going on? It's your boy Hayes. Welcome to another episode of The Awakened Soul Podcast. And if you don't follow the show, right off the top, do so at the awaken i'm sorry we changed it at awaken soul pod um you can uh follow me personally at ceo hayes that's ceo h-a-i-z-e we have a um a special show planned for you guys this week so we got marquee in the building and we'll be talking about uh so there's this common conversation that happens on social media at least on mine that i see pop up probably once every couple of months and that is can you date outside your race and still be pro-black and then exactly what does it mean to be pro-black what does that really mean so we get into that conversation uh with marquee uh that's my uh one of my co-hosts from the breaks radio uh so this is his first time on the show so very happy to have him here and to have that conversation he was the first one uh that i thought about to have that conversation with and then also at the top of the show so we have a, a two-prong in the minor hay segment marquee does join me for part of that in the minor hay segment and then um the first part though this is me solo talking about the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre, which this episode is dropping on the 100th anniversary. So, um, it, and you know, I'm not going to get super deep into it. There's a lot of documentaries, luckily this year that have popped up for them. There've been documentaries in the past. Um, and so I hope that people are taking in that content, but I just wanted to take a second on my platform to talk about the history of black wall street, what the Tulsa massacres, um, meant uh for us historically and why it does need to be remembered and the fact that it it's has been attempted to basically be erased from history so we're going to talk a little bit about that uh during the in the minor hay segment so uh as you guys know before we can get into any of that we have to get into our intro music so i'll catch you guys right on the other side of this the following is a breaks media podcast You are now listening to the best podcast in the world, The Awakened Soul, hosted by my dad. All right, we're in 
my mind. This is the end of my end of my hate segment. I'm not gonna call it my dark and twisted crazy ass mind this week because really this week, what's on my heart, what's on my spirit, it's just our culture. It's just the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Massacre. That's why this episode, this original was gonna be something else. This episode was going to be, um, I was gonna give some ways to stay inspired as a creative and not like let just black trauma dictate your creativity. But we're gonna step away from that a little bit. Um, and I, you know, called a the audible basically um we got the the main discussion topic with marquee i've already kind of prefaced that and and hyped it and told you guys what that was going to be we actually streamed that live um so you know be on the lookout for more things like that where i may stream more more stuff live especially with guests but outside of that i wanted to start off the show by talking about the tulsa massacre and so you know we're we're at the 100th anniversary of it and you know i've posted merch for it and everything but this isn't to sell that like we're, we're that's to the side um, the main reason why I wanted to talk about this is because I know that there are a lot of people who don't know what the fuck the Tulsa massacre is, and you can't really blame them. It was almost erased from history. Tulsa, um, in Oklahoma as a state is a very conservative state, but it has such a dark past that people have it through the history books of it's not taught in school. It wasn't taught in any school I was and I'll I posted on social media how the fact that it isn't really taught in school and one person out of the 4,000 or so followers that I have, and I got a lot of interaction on that tweet, did say that it was taught in their school. So hats off. I should have gotten the name of the school and everything so I could have shouted it out correctly. But I'm glad that there are some schools. So I can't universally say that no schools teach it, but um, I don't think it's on any state curriculums. Um, and so the fact that we have what was basically, um, it, it started as a lynch mob, right? And by the end of that lynch mob, the next 14 hours that follow, uh, local law enforcement and National Guard joined in on basically this legalized raid and destruction of what happened in Tulsa. And it's it and it's so disgusting with the fact that like it, it like I said, it, it tried to basically be a race. And there's been government reports since that have come out there and, you know, the, it made statements and everything. But at the end of the day, what happened? At, at what happened in the Greenwood district of Tulsa, Oklahoma was is disgusting. And it's something that it just shows how not only blacks were treated, but the fact that this massacre massacre in which I think at, by the end of it, over a thousand people lost their lives. Um, and most of those were black. There were some white that it started because of an incorrect accusation of a woman being attacked. And they basically used it as a reason to raid this thriving black community that was almost completely independent. And that's where the worry comes in. That's where the concern comes in. That's where the remembrance is important because not only is there a lot of, it shows that what we can build when we work together in the history of Tulsa, Oklahoma, but it also shows the history of a country who didn't want that to happen, who didn't, who, who basically fought every nail and, and everything to, to stop that black community from being able to thrive. What happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma was so scary to white people at that time to see black people being able to do and accomplish and build what they did that the, at the first sight, the first chance of being able to destroy it, they did it. It was home to over 10,000 black Americans. And the rumored assault of a white girl by a young black man, which was later to pr proven to be false, over 1,250 homes were set ablaze. And it, what was at that time looked at as a promised land, a mecca, a, a, such an important part of black culture was utterly destroyed quickly, gone. 
Overnight, basically, this is what happened. The bodies were dropped in unmarked graves. Some were thrown in the Arkansas River. Um, and others were just hauled off to other, to other locations. More than 800 people were treated for wounds. And over 8,000 people after this were left homeless. And what makes this even more of, some, of something that it's, 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 it's hurtful is the fact that most of black culture didn't even, most of American, let, let's not just say, let's, but we, we, our own people didn't know it. But most of our, even people that are currently living in Tulsa weren't aware of the history of what happened in, 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 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that the, the fact that it took a white man to put the Tulsa, the Tulsa massacre in that Watchmen TV show for so many people for it to like be thrust back into American knowledge. I'm not saying that's the only thing. It's not. It's, it's been talked about more progressively over the years. So I don't want to act like it's, it's, it, it, he was the only one. But the fact that the conversation was spurned from an episode of Watchmen in which people did not realize that, that was a real thing that happened for decades and decades. We're talking about generations of people who did not and were not aware of a massacre that left, that killed thousands, left hundreds more injured, and left black people, over 8,000 black people left homeless. Just think, fucking disgusting. Um... And so this is not the episode to go through the history of it because it would honestly take a whole episode to do. And I don't know if I have the emotion. Honestly, I don't know if I have the emotional space in my heart right now to go through everything in the in the cultural impact of it. But just know that the impact is felt to this day to this day. Imagine imagine if Tulsa, Oklahoma, if Greenswood, the Greenswood district was not destroyed as it was continually being built, like I said, over 10,000 black Americans, black people called that home and what they were able to do in industry um, with their own jobs, with building their own communities. Imagine if over the last hundred years, we had that as a platform to jump off of and to build from or even to model other cities off of, other districts off of. It would have been fucking amazing. Um, and that is why it's important to be remembered. Uh, there's so much pain so much power in the memory of, to of what happened uh, in Greenswood because of what was, what was built there before it was taken away. And also, like I said, the fact that it being taken away and destroyed, has all, it, it, it highlights the, the, the power of knowing your history. And this is why us as a people, our history and our culture has, has tried to be ripped away from us. We, we couldn't know they didn't want us to know that we descended from kings. They wanted us to, to keep in mind that we only descended from slaves and not to know, like, the power in our history. And one of the things that are so, like, there was, of course, a huge event in Tulsa this weekend, um, over the whole weekend. The main event of that, um, of that weekend was actually canceled. And, and, the, 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 and, it, and one of the reasons, why, the, the reason why they gave that it was canceled is that the reparations for the three survivors this was supposed to be something that over 6,000 people went to Tulsa and were supposed to attend that event. Now, more people, more than that 6,000 went to Tulsa this weekend. But the 100th anniversary of this, this main event that was meant to be there, over 6,000 people were supposed to attend and it was supposed to be aired live on TV and it got canceled. And I know they're given the reason of reparations for the survivors. And they even came out and said that some of the demands from the represent, re representation of the survivors, but I'm sorry, 
to me, just me being who I am and the slight conspiracy theorists that I am, I don't fucking believe that a day in my mind. When you see the documentaries, when you see the renewed interest, when you see the, the inspiration that's being pulled from these Tulsa massacres and then for the main event to be fucking canceled, no, I'm sorry. I, I, whether whether it was internal, external, whatever else, I don't believe the reason that's being given. And this is the type. This is the reason why we need more eyes on shit like this. This is the reason why we need people to put their voices behind things like this. And this is why we need people outside of the mainstream media to point this shit out because it is important for us to keep our eyes open and be aware. So you mean to tell me one of the most most hurtful events in Black history in this culture? In this cult, in this country, I'm sorry, in, in the history of this country, there was so much hype built around this 100th, 100th anniversary, and the main event of this weekend is suddenly canceled a day before it's supposed to air live on TV. Get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. And I'm sorry. I know I'm upset. I know I'm 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 livid right now because this. Whether it and I'm I'm not necessarily blaming this on media. I'm not even blaming this necessarily the fact that it was canceled on white people. But when you see that it was at that the attorneys asked for one million dollars per survivor, don't get me wrong. The fucking they deserve every bit of that. But for that event to be canceled because of it, I understand maintaining the integrity of the survivors. I understand maintaining and wanting to to highlight but we have a survivor of the of the of the Tulsa massacre who got posted by fucking complex to because they were wearing jays tennis shoes exploited for fucking shoes while complex did nothing to educate people on what the fucking Tulsa massacres mean and we are the main event a live broadcast of this is canceled come the fuck on come the fuck on that's my opinion um and this is the the, the thing about our culture that I hate and that I love, right? We use everything as an opportunity to promote. And in my opinion, hell, like I said, I have my Black Wall Street Remembrance Tees. I've definitely promoted them. I understand it, but it should be in a way that links back to focusing on the event. A pair of fucking Jordans does not link back to the, to nobody, nobody fucking died there thinking about, like it wasn't for a pair of Jordans. Nobody gave, gives a fuck, a fuck about the survivors wearing the first pair of Jordans. I don't, I don't give a flying fuck about that, but something that could have been powerful, that could have been something that for my children to go back and look at was taken away and not aired because of bullshit, bullshit behind the scene politics. And in my opinion, and this may be even more controversial. I get it. The three survivors wanted to make sure that they had, that they got reparations. Their attorneys. I get it. Their attorneys are supposed to, you're supposed to protect your clients. It's important. All of that shit. Now, they came down off that initial $100 million as for the original non-negotiable $50 million each. But my thing, that event could have still went on even if they pulled out. And yes, it may have not have been as meaningful. Yes, it, it means more to have the descendants there. But at the end of the day, we're all descendants of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Black Wall Street. We all need to remember it. So, you know, and I and I started this by saying there are a lot of documentaries that have come out for it and everything now. And though not to take away from the power of those, but it was important for it to, to still happen in my opinion. So, um, looking at this list of ass that we have, it it was a one million per survivor. A 50 million pledge to our survivor and descendant fund um, that, uh, that they will not agree with any other entity housing our fund. So they wanted to house their own. Um, it should have been housed at the black bank. Okay. Um, so they had six black banks that they wanted to, to hold their fund and the 
funding of that. This is just a list of, of demands that were made. Um, they wanted to announce the fund at, on May, May 31st, which is today, um, as of this episode dropping. Um, so, I mean, and then uh, a lot, 33% of Greenwood rising revenue to directly benefit survivors and descendants of the North Tulsa community. And this is, this, these are all things that I can understand, right? I can understand these demands. Um, not demands. Demands make it seem like it's a it's a hostage negotiation. So not demands. Demands is not the right word, but requirements and things that they ask for it to, to, to be a part of this event in this weekend. Completely understand that. But at the same time, um, all of this should have been worked out a month or a year, months or a year before this event, this hundredth anniversary. It was known that it was coming up. And I don't want to blame the survivors. I don't want to even blame necessarily their attorneys. But something, the ball was dropped somewhere along these lines. The ball was dropped, and it's disgusting because this could have been such a huge part of our culture. And so that's it. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave this on this before I get more upset. I got kind of fired up there. We are actually going to continue the In the Mind of Hay segment briefly with my boy Marquis um, in the building where we'll be talking about Kwame Brown. And then after that, we'll get into the main discussion topic of being pro-black and uh, can you still be pro-black and date outside your race. Um, and that's it. Then we'll end the show. We'll go home. Uh, so I'll see you guys on the other side of this. We're joined by one of my co-hosts on the Breaks Radio. Uh, the red wine connoisseur himself, Marquis, is in the building for the first time on the Awaken Soul. What's going on, bro? I'm chilling, brother. And I'm honored. <laughs> I'm honored. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I feel like the conversation that we're going to have and for anyone who's watching, see the title you know what we're going to get into we're going to talk about some stuff before then but uh i felt like this was like the perfect topic for us to talk about um because i feel like we have uh dope like perspectives on this and i know we both have like this this love for our culture but also a want to understand like like you were one of the first people who were i think question like what does it mean to do it for the culture is it just for everyone Mm -hmm. black and so like it coming off that i feel like this is a good conversation to have together um but before we get into that i usually um, when i'm doing this solo i have a segment called in the mind of hay segment and that's usually where something in the news or popular culture or whatever that i actually want to talk about not just because it's popular i i throw it in here and so kwame brown right and and i just want to preface this by saying for i think universally people think of one of the greatest rebrands as far as like media and like podcasting and all this shit has been joe button to go from a well-respected rapper and with hip-hop heads not a huge Mm -hmm. mainstream to having this huge mainstream Mm -hmm. podcast well there's a new contender in that in kwame brown who is going from a what some people universally say he's the worst number one pick of all time to now being like on this streak of him just giving people the verbal fucking business has been amazing. And this kind of all started with, uh, first it started with um, some former players that he used to play with him, Matt Barnes and Gilbert Arenas, Gilbert Arenas and, and Stephen, a. Stephen Jackson. Stephen Jackson, yeah. yeah. And so that was fucking hilarious, him going and Beck calling uh, him uh, Matt Barnes, uh, Becky with the good hair. This shit was fucking hilarious, right? <laughs> and so that was funny. But then all the media attention that came from that He's shown himself to be, A, he's very much him, but he's handling this shit better than I've seen anyone. Like, he single-handedly broke down every member of the Breakfast Club to the point to where Charlemagne not only hit him with a cease and desist, but apologized publicly. Like, what, what, do, you, what do you make of, of this shit with Kwame Brown going on, bro? So, 
in the last episode of the breaks, we talked about specific personalities that you just have to accept them for who they are yeah. and they're genuine. Um, we talked about X, um, Pac and everything. Kwame, I mean, let's be real. This man says what he says and you, you have no, there's nothing you can say about it. And he backs his shit up. You know what I mean? Like yeah. nobody wants to see him. Realistically, nobody wants hands with him. And you know, there's some dudes that you already know you don't want that problem with. It's not like, oh, you know, tough talk. Like Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace is one of those dudes you know you don't want a problem with. Ron Artest, you don't want a problem. But Kwame Brown, you don't want that problem. But the fact that these so-called podcast heads, these, you know, who have this platform and he's shutting them down, this is a reality check. You know what I mean? And motherfuckers ain't cashing it in. I love it, bro. He's my hero, man. He is my hero. Yeah, it's... It's fucking wild, like, and and the fact that Qua- he's 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 country as shit, right? And you gotta love yeah. it for what it is. <laughs> um, and like the fact that he's talking about like how how we're we're taught to attack other black men, and like I think one of the first ones is like, who's paying you to do? Who's paying you to sit here and attack mm-hmm. me? I'm minding my fucking mm-hmm. business, like, mm-hmm. and and it it's true. Like we are put it pit against each other in multiple ways usually. And we don't really sit down and have that conversation of what that looks like. Um, and, and what the meaning behind it is because very often we are, it's like you, you can't, you as black men, it's hard. Well, not me. I say it's hard because it's not hard. It shouldn't be hard, but it's rare that you see us not tear down other black men in some way or another. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, mm-hmm. whether it's in sports and you used to, to do sports commentary, like, Kwame Brown's play on the on the on the court is one thing, right? That's one thing you can't deny that. There's stories going on about that, and you know Michael Jordan never wanted him, and all that shit. All that shit is true. You can't take away from that. There's nothing you can deny about that. Mm-hmm. But you can critique the way he played on. The, he played soft for his size. You can't take mm-hmm. away from that. But when you get into like the space of Charlemagne and you start attacking this man's character and talking about his family and people being in jail and shit like that, like that shit's fucking disgusting. And I'm glad that he fucking called it out the way that he did. And I'm glad that, like, he exposed some of the sensitivity in, in because Charlemagne is quick to talk about other black men. But the mm-hmm. moment that his former case that he pled guilty to to get a deal got called, got talked about, now I need to hit you with a cease and desist. No, motherfucker, you're one of the biggest people who do this shit on a daily fucking mm-hmm. basis. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man. So it's what's interesting is we have this this mentality that we have to attack other black men. And I think we're conditioned, like you said, because, number one, no one else can. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. No one else can actually go after black people the way black people can. And the ratings. The ratings. They, it's, we want to see the drama. Well, and and everybody wants to see the drama, especially amongst black people. So it boosts the ratings, and you have these celebrities like Charlemagne and the rest of them who need ammunition or content to boost their ratings or to keep their ratings high. And that's why the drama is there. So unfortunately they're, they're, you know, they're the slaves. The way you dance for me, monkey, by attacking your people. That's what it comes down to. But yeah, Kwame Brown called it out and I don't think he's getting recognition. I know it's blowing up, but he should be blowing up a little bit more than he is right now. And I'm, I hope, I hope it gets to where it needs to be, where we start having these conversations because I love this man. I'm probably going to change my profile pic to Kwame Brown <laughs> because I love this man. Everything. Yeah. And, and, oh my God. His delivery. Just so simple. And like you said, very country. And that's how they are. Like country music is very simple, very right to the pack. There's no bullshit behind it. It's just calling this shit out, man. But Becky, what the good. And what did he say about Derek Fisher? Man, <laughs> <Looking> listen. At- <laughs> 
He said, you tried that fake tough shit with Derek Fisher and you, you ended up still crying and with no girl. That shit sent me, bro. That sh- When he said that shit, that shit sent me. Like I And I was looking at it like, this motherfucker gives no... But it's all facts. You can't argue with it. There's no argument for it. Yeah, man. I, respect, my man. Respect. Yeah. I, you know I'm a Laker fan, so... I hated him on the Lakers. I mean, I did love what we used um, to, you know, when we traded him and everything, but I love this man. Talk about a second life. <laughs> so I'm here for it all. There you have it. So let's 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 get into the, the main topic in which we're here to talk about today. And so yes, being a mom is probably the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. I have my own company, but I'm a mom first. A young urban mom, it's not an experience like any other. When you're young, you're growing with your kid. You're growing into that identity. Developing and creating a community of moms that are basically sharing information with one another so that we can be stronger moms. Perfect imperfection, beautiful chaos, doing the best you can every day, falling down nine times but getting up 10. As long as you are led by love, you kind of can't lose. Moms coming together to share information so that we can be great parents for our our children. Us being the change we wanted to see in the world. Yum came into existence. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This one is one that, like, I, I've i seen this over the years. That, so, you, I, I don't think you know this, but I'm, like, I've been on Twitter technically for 10 years, but I've only really taken social media, like, actively being in there a lot since I started podcasting, which has been about four years at this point. And so this is a conversation that I see all the time that I choose not to insert myself in because I honestly feel that it's asinine. But I feel like at this point now, a conversation needs to be had about it um, rather than bashing. And that is dating outside your race and how that affects you being pro-black or not. And so there's this huge part of the black community that feels like just because you date outside and you're currently dating someone outside of your race, that it automatically negates your ability to be pro-black. Now, I, I adamantly disagree with that for several reasons but before we get into that disagreement how do you feel about that in that statement what is it what does it make you think where does your mind go um so it's it's i'm conflicted because i see both viewpoints i think the problem is how do we address it right and again why is this a topic the -hmm. fact that being pro-black um the fact that we have to be pro-black there really is no pro-white but there's a reason why you have to be pro-black if you're black. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and we're going to discuss a little further going into the conversation, but there is no one answer to, to satisfy everybody. At the end of the day, it's like you're, someone's going to have a viewpoint and they're not going to agree with you. Some people will. Some people will be educated, but some people are still going to be biased. And I'll give you the perfect example. I remember when... Kendrick, when people had a problem when Kendrick was dating a lighter skinned woman because he's darker. And that was a problem for people. So someone's not going to be happy regardless. You know what I mean? Why aren't you with a black queen? Why aren't you? And then, you know, why aren't you celebrating your, your culture either? So there's, there's, you know, two ways of looking at it. And it's just, it's, 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 it's frustrating, but we're going to get into it. And I, and I, I'm actually, um, my significant other is Puerto Rican. 
So there's a lot of questions that come up, especially how pro-black I am. Mm -hmm. And again, we'll dig into that and I'll go through the history of everything and how that worked out. But let's let's begin. What are your so, give it to me? Come so on. this this is where my mind goes. Like, I understand that there is a community of men, black men and black women that when they date outside the race, they then talk down about the men or women from our race. Those people, I understand where that you can say that they're not pro-black because as a black man, if I if you are dating a white woman, a Hispanic woman, uh, European, whatever it is, and you and you then decide to say because I'm doing this, black women are beneath me. Okay, I can understand that part of not being being able to to be pro-black, mm -hmm. and I think like that image has been what's people have looked at as what somebody like people just think that if some as a black man or black woman if you date especially a white person that you you automatically think you're better than other black people and uh, and you you're dating a white woman or a, or a white man because black men or black women aren't good enough for you and i think now that that's projected universally on hmm. anyone who dates outside the race and and people don't really realize that that's what they're doing i, I don't think it's always um what's the word that i'm looking for um I can't fucking find it right now. Uh, but I don't think it's always meant as like, I think it's trauma in a way. I think there's so much mm -hmm. trauma built around the fact that, you know, why, why is, why is a black woman not good enough for you? And it, you can easily gotcha. say, even though, even though I'm dating outside my race, if someone is to say, I'm not saying black women aren't good enough for me. I just met the person that's for me. Black women are amazing. And then like you, to go to piggyback off what you do, or I mean, what you said is that, we even see that within our race, because then if you date a light skinned black woman, oh, so dark skinned black women aren't, aren't good enough for you. It, it like we don't see how that inner race, that inner race racism is still projected on us from slave days. I completely feel that that's what it's done, that that's where that that's where that stem from. And I always say we have this genetic um, trauma that's just part of our DNA. And we and if, until we identify it, it's it's going to be an issue. We tear ourselves down internally, but then want to say that we're we're trying to look out for our race. The definition of being pro-black means that you're pro-black culture. Everything and even the people who don't understand black culture, you have to be stewards for them as well. So for you to Absolutely. say that, like, like for you to shit on or whatever anyone else in your race, I'm sorry. Then you can't tell say who's pro-black or not because by saying that, by bearing that flag of saying I'm pro-black, that means that you have to you have to be head and shoulders above and put the things that are for your race above any of your own personal prejudices. And a lot of people don't do that shit. But go ahead. I I agree. Um, one of the things you brought up <clears throat> is those who date outside their race and they look down on our people. Um, you're right. That's just who they're going to be, and they're not adding to the culture. But those that are in interracial relationships and they still teach and educate, you know, blackness and celebrate the culture itself. And also the person that they're with understands, relates and still appreciates the culture. That's that's moving it forward. You know what I mean? You're you're it's like a melting pot. You, you move in certain areas like um, like what the ghetto is technically. And you want a celebration of the people because you're going through something together. It's not poverty or anything like that, but you you're in this community and you know each other. You have, you know you go to the bodega, you go to the Jewish um you know Jewish deli and everything like that, and everybody knows each other. That's what you want. You want um to understand each other's culture. You want to grow together, but you also recognize who you are, and that's what it should be. But like you said, when you get this person who goes to you know happens to go to Harvard or whatever like that, and then you know here's another another problem, <clears throat> and people talk about um Patrick Mahomes. 
and most of these uh, um, uh, NFL players or, or sports people who date, you know, white women or just, you know, people that aren't in their race, there's two things here. And the way I see it is like this. These athletes are going to go to these u- unique um, colleges, especially if they're not HBCUs, because the, the, the status, right, mm-hmm. the scholarships, the, the you know, you're going to go to the next level. These schools, how many of them have black women? You know what I mean? Like you're going to date, or especially if you're in these high schools where you're basically bred to be a football player, baseball player, and you're in these elite schools, there's not a lot of black women there. You know what I mean? So you're always going to date people that you trust, that you grow up with, that, you know, you went to school with. You know that person isn't there for your money. You're going to date whoever you're around. And it's not to say that black women can't get there, but black women didn't have these opportunities to go to schools like this. So I understand why they end up dating white women or dating, you know, outside their race because, and I'm not saying that they aren't there, but if you're going to grow up with your high school girlfriend and you get to to the league, you trust that person. She was there when you were, you know, you weren't at that level. But I will say that there are people who do look to date white people. And there are people who come from other countries that are told, number one, don't date black. Whatever you do, don't date black. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of different mentalities behind it, but that's, that's a lot of that we have to address. So, and I'll give you an example for me. I didn't grow up in the social media era. You know what I mean? Like I'm right on that, 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 um, that, that, that plane where there wasn't social media. There wasn't, you know, reach out to somebody. You had to have a conversation. There was no FaceTime. It was like, you had to be in front of somebody. You couldn't just yeah. type text or anything like that. You had to say what you, you know, when you met a person. So I grew up in Patterson, Patterson, New Jersey. Um, I'm not sure if um, you're familiar with it, but if you've seen the movie Lean On Me, you'll get an idea of what Patterson was like. And I'll never forget, I brought a friend to Patterson and I, I said, this is school. I showed him the school I went to. He was like, is that a prison? I was like, no, that's my school, bro. <laughs> yeah, Kennedy, John F. Kennedy High School. I'm like, yo, Patterson was rough. And when we grew up there, you know, there was really no white people. There was a sprinkle of white people. So there was Hispanics, there were blacks and everything like that. So, you know, there were Indians, um, you know, and that's, that's who we grew up with. So when we, we, for me, I graduated college. I was one and only, you know, I was the second person in my family to graduate college, number one. So when I went, I graduated college, I started, you know, my career. And the person that I was dating when I was at this particular company Again, we didn't have a lot of black people there, and I'm always at work. I'm a manager, and the person I'm seeing the most is, you know, this Hispanic woman. And we had a lot in common and everything like that. But, again, there was a lot of conversations that I had to have with her as well Mm -hmm. because you assume since we both grew up in Patterson, we kind of have the same mindset. Yeah. But you see that you don't understand what it's like to be black unless you're actually black. So when I used to make certain comments like when I got called nigger, and, you know, I'm telling you, if I get pulled over, shit is real. And she's like, oh, it's not that bad. I'm like, you don't get it. And that's those are kind of the conversations that we had to have, especially having kids. We still have. And now she understands it because like, yo, your children are black. Like, yeah. yes, I, I do celebrate their Puerto Rican heritage. But whatever ha- what, what happened to George Floyd, like that could happen to our kids. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you do have to recognize this is this is the shit we go through. And I'm not just preaching it. You know, be pro-black. I'm, I'm, I'm always gonna. You know, I, I love my culture. I love, I love being black. Yeah. Um, I, the trauma that comes with it too, unfortunately. But trying to educate and making sure that the person that the, the person that you're with understands it. That's a, that's a, that's a, a for me. That's a still a struggle. Like it's still, but there's growth there. So. Yeah, and 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 that goes to to like to, to my point is that this blindly saying that just because you date outside your race you can't be pro-black 
is ridiculous because you're technically dating outside. And I know for some reason, like in black culture, we give Hispanics a pass. It's like we just accept them into our culture. But you are dating outside of your race. Yes, absolutely. And I don't know if anyone tried to dare say that you're not pro-black. I would I would challenge them on what their definition of pro black is because since I've met you right and we're less than a year of knowing each other and the one thing the very first well two things that I learned about you you fucking love music and you are absolutely <laughs> pro black and you are steward of what our culture means and you are very proud of both the pain that we've suffered through our culture and the the positivity and greatness that comes from that struggle that we've done collectively as as a people so like. It, it really frustrates me. And, the, and one of the things that, like, I, in my rant, I highlighted in why you why you can't elim- automatically eliminate somebody who's just dating outside of the race as being pro-black is because as a culture, how many biracial people do we celebrate as being still part of our culture? Absolutely. So if you, can, you, if you can accept a product of a biracial person into our culture, because I don't see nobody tricking Jake, uh, Drake for saying nigga. Because to me... If if we if you're saying that you can't be pro black and be in a biracial relationship, but yet you're saying that these biracial people can say nigga, I need to see you, the outrage for that shit. And if I'm not seeing it, you can shut the fuck up with that opinion. Like I wow. said, that that doesn't take away from the people that do that because they look outside their because they do date outside the race, they then look down upon the race. But we can't blanketly throw that on everyone, and we need to identify the people that do do that because we need to then educate on why the the next group of people come up. And one of the biggest things that I can use to 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 nail this whole point home is me. When people look at me, they see a black man. You feel mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. No one can say, my whole fucking platform is built on the celebration of black culture. So mm-hmm. you dare try to tell me I'm not pro-black. And it's so funny when I there's and I always tell the story. There was this guy who was following me and he followed my podcast. He for a year, every time I dropped an episode, hey, this is a shining thing of black culture. You guys need to support this guy. He's a huge black culture activist. Black is beautiful. I mean, like support one of the downest people for my platform, the Awaken Soul for the longest, right? He had this tweet mm-hmm. one day where it was like, if if you have biracial children, I can't support you. And th- just just because I didn't think he knew, I purposely tweeted a picture of me and my dad that day, right? My dad, a white man. And I just was like, I just want to see how, because this is the man who literally has hyped me up as being one of the biggest pillars of black culture that people should follow. Wow. When I say that I posted that picture of my white father, this man unfollowed me. You feel me? He, 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 I think he deleted some of the old posts promoting my thing. And it's like, wow. why is it because of who my father is that takes away from the work that you've seen I've been doing and mm-hmm. supported? For so, people. and that's what I mean by like, we have this inherent thing where we, we think that being pro black means just like fuck everything else. And I get that to a degree. I understand that. Like, we're in the 100th anniversary of of the of the Tulsa massacre. I understand why being protective of our culture is so much or so, so is is so important to so many people. But like I said before, is that being pro-black means being positive and representation of everyone who is black. And so, like when you when you try to eliminate people just because of your own personal biases, or you feel like oh. Like, are you saying that? Like, have a conversation with that person. I'm, I'm not saying mm-hmm. that there aren't people who do need to be called out for being, for putting down their own women and own men in their culture because they feel like they leveled up outside of our race. Mm-hmm. Call that shit out. But you can't throw mm-hmm. that on everyone blindly and then think that that means you're being pro-black because at that point you're just being a big of a bigot 
as anyone else, in my opinion. Uh, absolutely. That was some powerful shit, bro. <laughs> that was some powerful shit. The, uh, the ignorance, man, seriously. So here's here's one thing I want to ask. Is he being pro-black? No. Because he diminished what your your accomplishment, what you did for the culture. So you're yeah. you're not pro-black, bro. You're, not, like, you're pro your agenda. You're you're pro your agenda. And people are so caught up in thinking that their agenda is is just what pro-black can be. And it's like you don't realize, like I said, like you're projecting your biases on our culture and you're holding us back more than that, more than helping yeah. us. And what do you think of the um the white people and Hispanics who do want to have these conversations that are at the marches, that do want to um, promote or push the culture forward? How do you, even though and they recognize that, you know, I'm not black, but they're more allies for black. Um, what, do, what are your thoughts on, on, I guess, how they're perceived? Because I still see a lot of, how black people attack them yeah. when they're trying to help, yeah. you know, and make it in yeah. the guilt shame. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're the allies too. You can't, you can't have it both ways. Exactly. You know? And I, and I, and I, that's why I was, I did set up an episode and I hyped it. The schedule just kind of have worked out, but there is a, a, a woman who's a white black activist. She's white, but she is like literally here in Columbus. She organized so much pro black shit and rallies and like is, is out there. And I wanted to have a conversation with her about like, how does it feel being an ally, being being supportive of a culture that you can never truly be a part of? And so I want to have that conversation with somebody. So if you anyone who's watching this or listening to it after the fact, if you are someone who's outside of the race and you are truly pro-black and you do things to help the community, I would love to have that conversation with you. So hit me up. Uh, everything you'll find the, the where to hit me up at. But I, the way that I look at it is this, is that as much as we have turned everything put against us into magic, like the music, the food, mm -hmm, everything. The food. Black culture mm -hmm. is, is in great, like black culture is American culture because- Is it black, is it black on America? Yeah, Absolutely. Black, yeah. But um, as much as that, as much as we have that, it's, we, we seldom publicly speak about the fact that for us to get out of where we were, we absolutely had to have white allies to help. We didn't have a voice in in law. We didn't have a voice in court proceedings. We didn't have a voice in how uh, anything legal. So for uh, to us to get to a point of having that, it had to be people, white people in power who, and I get it, some of it did do it for their own personal reasons and some did do it because they truly felt moved to help a community of people who had who had been enslaved for hundreds of years. Yeah. So so yeah. but we have to acknowledge that. And that's not to say that we need white saviors or whatever, but you can't diminish the work that some of our white brethren have done to help us. Not that Absolutely. I mean we still had to do the footwork. We still had to forgive. We still had to be as strong as what we were to even make it to that point. But you can't ignore that. You can't ignore it. And and I feel like so many people try to paint that away and forget that that is a part of where we were able to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without them sharing or using their platform, we would we would be much. I mean, again, we'd be that, that angry black man or that angry. Why are you fighting? What's what are you complaining about? You know, you you, you have equal pay. You have equal rights. No, we don't. Yeah. But you have these people like, look, no, they don't like look at this. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not equal. How many how many black people are killed? And I had a, I, I did a, um I did like an episode a long time ago just as a test. It was called Black and Blue, where my one of my, my closest friends is uh is a, a police chief, um in a town over here. We grew up in Patterson together, and he's you know white Spanish you know white Latino I guess if you call him right. Love my brother, love my brother, right? So we had a conversation right after a lot Even of the you don't know and everything. And I, I basically interviewed him like, what is the pro procedure? What is, how do you, you know, profile? How do you deal with things like this? And he brought up a stat. He was like, do you realize there are a lot more Hispanics shot 
than, you know, just as many Hispanics shot than black. And I was like, well, how many of them are dead? And he was like, that's a good question. You see what I'm saying? So there is training to wound you, to suppress you. But when it comes to black people, you see what I'm saying? That's a whole different conversation. So he still, we still have the conversation as far as a black man and a cop who did identify, because he grew up in Patterson. So he grew up in the hood, knowing how it is for all of us. But he was open to having this conversation as a law enforcer, you know what I mean? Yeah. As law enforcement. And again, if, if those conversations happen more, we'd be in a much better position. And, and again, we're not saying like defund the police and everything. It's more police training or just, yeah. you know, knowing if this person is from Connecticut, grew up in Connecticut, watching black people like training day, and he comes to be stationed in Patterson, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. he's on edge because I don't know what these niggas are going to do. So there's a lot of conversation to happen. But back to as far as, you know, yeah, we got to get past it. And I applaud you, especially because you never shy away from having a white father. And I love you celebrate that. Yeah. A lot of people, because and, and I know you had it hard being um, being biracial, especially when people find out who your parents are. That's got to be hard because I know people who have white fathers and, you know, black mothers. And growing up in Patterson, I remember the day one of them was dropped on, my, this my friend Atia, was dropped off and everybody saw her father, the white father, and everybody looking like, holy shit, like, and I was like, that's what the fuck is up, you know what yeah. I'm saying? But they kind of treat her different, like, and they make these little jokes like, oh, Mr. Drummond is coming to pick you up and shit like that. Like, no, but she she still is part of the culture, you know what I'm saying? Like, she, it's not like she denies her heritage, but she also recognized her father's white too, you know? So, I don't know. We just, and again, I grew up in that era where social media wasn't as prevalent and people couldn't be, you know, these tw- Twitter gangsters and everything. We're yeah. saying a lot of shit behind the screen, but, you know. Yeah, for sure. Here we are, man. Yeah, I mean, I never shy away from it because, like, I'm very proud of, like, my black culture and my black heritage is something that nobody can say that I'm not proud of. And I think for me, like, growing up in a home to where my father admitted, like, look, son, as a black man, I can't teach you. Like, I, I can't teach you certain things. I can teach you how to be a great man, but I can't teach you how to deal with the pressures of being a black man. That's why mm. they that's why they sent me to go stay with my uncle and my grandmother every summer because it was important to both of my parents to, to for me to get that. Like, and so because I've seen my father be someone who is very, who, who to- basically told me, no, you are going to embrace who you are as a black man, and I want you to have the education because, look, I can't teach you right. And if I try to raise you as something that people aren't going to see you as, that could be your life. You feel me? Mm. So he's like, I, I, mm. I, I can't. Like, so no, your uncle is going to take you. You're going to go spend two months every year with your uncle <laughs> because he got some stuff that I can't possibly give you. Um, mm. And so seeing that very early on is like, it's, it's really, and it's so funny because when people say you can't be pro-black, and date outside your race. Like, I just look at my mother. And my, if anyone who has met Patricia, my mother, Mama Hayes, is, as social media calls her, could never... De- like, my mom is one of those people who, like... My, my godmother is a, is a Black Panther. My godmother is a former mm. Black Panther from the fucking mm. 60s and 70s. Like, that was mm. when the shit was real. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Um, so nobody can deny that. Like, and if I would challenge anyone to meet my mother, and because she was married to a white man for almost 30 years to ever challenge her being pro-black. Cause I guarantee you, you will walk out of that conversation embarrassed, smacked and your ancestors will probably feel <laughs> Um, So like, like th- that's, that's just the, the culture that I was in and I've seen it. And I feel like pe- we, like you said, it's a, it's a conversation that needs to happen. And 
very often we don't have the conversation and we rather rely on our biases because that conversation will expose some shit about ourselves that we don't necessarily want to face. And like I said, like to say that somebody's not pro-black because they're dating outside the race yet, you shitting on light-skinned people. Motherfucker, you just as fucking bad as whatever mm-hmm. you want to paint. You feel me? So mm-hmm. shut that shit up to me. So Absolutely. Yeah. I think we should um have uh, Kwame Brown be the moderator for <laughs> that exact conversation. <laughs> Listen, I used to no, always dude. say my dream interview, as far as another podcaster or personality would have been Charlemagne, and I, I not just because Kwame has been up against against Charlemagne, but just because I would love to have a conversation with country ass Kwame Brown, and I guarantee you would be one of those ones that you like. This nigga just dropped some philosophical shit, but the way that he said, like, and that's why you gotta listen to people because, like, yeah. some some people you get turned off by their dialect or their country twang or whatever, and you'll miss. No, you you just said some shit, fam. Absolutely, so, yeah, absolutely. Well. Yeah. I love you, dude. I love you too, man. I love you too. I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation. Like I said, I, I couldn't, as soon as I was like, you know, I'm going to have this topic, you were the first one to come in mind, man. And, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate that, man. you taking time out today to have this conversation with me. And any, you know, I, I like to leave people in parting words, any parting words and knowledge that you want to drop or anything that you feel like we didn't talk about on this topic that, that you want to touch on before we go. Um, so I would, um, closing your eyes and listening to people, because if you hear something, that's powerful and you don't know what color they are and it's moving the needle forward as a people, that's just as important. You know what I mean? Like for me, and, and I have these conversations with a lot of people cause I work at a science, uh, a, a science problem publication. And a lot of the stuff that I post or share is not just about, you know, being pro black, but it's also about life. You know, the things we know as far as climate change and the things we have to do, the things that we need to do for, for all of us, because at some point, if shit hits the fan, like we, we're all in the same boat. You know what I mean? Like sure. we all have to figure it, figure it out. So no matter what color you are, but we got to start having these conversations now to build something for the future. And once we come together and unite and, and build these blocks, then we can focus on what's the, the real problems. You know what I mean? Uh, aside from the currency and all this other, other shit that we're dealing with. But that's it. I just, I, I would love for people to have a lot more conversations and to be honest with themselves too. Like, look, I, I'll admit sometimes I'm not right about certain things, but I'm willing to listen. I'm not, my, let my pride aside. I might've missed something, but I, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be more educated on it. Even when it comes to like promoting black women, we got to stop trying to be heroes for black women when we're not black women. <laughs> listen, shut the fuck up and listen. Don't do it for them. Oh my God. Listen. Yes. Just like with Draymond Green and, and with the WNBA, like his statement, like, come on, bro. You, Let's be real. Like, check yourself first. Yeah. And you of all people know, like, he knows. And again, we just, we got to get out of our own space, acting like we know everything, especially we're not in those shoes. And again, stop blaming white people, too. Yeah, there's some fucked up shit that happened, but we need to start looking we at the people next to us as well, you know? Definitely. Definitely. There's a lot so. of fucked up shit that happened, but you can't blame everything on that. And at some point, right? We have to take ownership of our own future as a culture. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we can't, we, we're, you're not going to find peace by staying focused on, the, and I'm not ever saying forget. This is the person who's saying we need to remember the Tulsa massacre. So I'm never saying forget, but I'm saying we won't find the peace that we need and the progression by constantly focusing on what's happened in the past. Never forget it. Educate us. Never forget our history. Don't let them let us forget our history or whatever else. But it has to be new. We're building new ground. We're building new bridges. Mm-hmm. It has to be something new. And I'm going to end this on my last stating words. 
All you motherfucking podcasters, all you motherfucking YouTubers, you bloggers who want to be stewards of the culture and black culture means everything to you, and you motherfuckers didn't talk about the Tulsa Massacre, you motherfuckers don't even know about it, get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. Mm. And I know that's going to get some backlash, and I don't give a fuck, because at the end of the day, it's like, mother, you per... per- uh, push merch that's Black Lives Matter. You'll push, but where did that all rooted from? The Tulsa Massacre, the purpose of it, the reason why it needs to be remembered is because that was one of the first shining examples of how prosperous black people can be working within their own and together and building their own community. And that was taken away from us, right? Wrongly. Taken, ripped away from us. But And they were, they were waiting for a reason to rip it away from us. And mm-hmm. they used a situation in which the narrative got painted a certain way and they basically completed a legal massacre but yet nobody in our culture is talking about it i remember one quote where someone says this nigger has a grand piano in his house i don't have a grand piano that was one white man basically complaining how prosperous these black people were doing like how how successful we are that that couldn't happen that's unfathomable so yeah there and the fact that it had to be brought out by um, what was the movie? Watchmen. The show? Watchmen, Watchmen, the TV show. Like, think like, about you, that shit. It was so crazy to me when people the are like, time. when people are finding out, like, no, this is a real thing that actually happened, and people were fucking flabbergasted by it. Where the fuck have you been? That shit got buried, man. And, we, buried and that's not even to talk about what Central Park in New York originally was for black people, because that shit isn't taught in fucking history books either. Nope. But like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's gonna get me on my no, horse. No, I'm absolutely. trying to stop, but like, it's it's real and it's deep. And Don't these stop, is, but yeah, this is this is we, the things that's that another conversation. Like, yeah, we're gonna say that for another conversation. Yeah, right? and, I got and that's you. the yeah. things that it's like when people want to be like this big thing of our culture, and like you don't even know our history. Like, shut the fuck. Like. There's so many people who think like they're educating our culture by talking about fucking dating and relationships. Fuck that shit. Fuck that shit. But that's just me. That's just me. I feel you. I feel you, brother. <laughs> but Marquis, tell them where they can find you, man. Let's get the fuck up out of here. Impenetrable on IG and Marquis at Grand Band on Twitter. There you go. You guys can follow me at And CEO. you can definitely see me at the breaks. Definitely. The Breaks Radio, where we'll be talking about Exodus, uh, the posthumous album from DMX coming up this week. I can't wait to talk about that. Oh um, my and then God. this 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 the shop with with Jay-Z. We talked oh, about it, yes. and we said we didn't think it was going to be something deep. That motherfucker completely th- proved us wrong. So be on the lookout for the Breaks Radio. We'll, we got to eat a little crow on that one, but you guys can follow me <laughs> at CEO Hayes, at CEO H-A-I-Z-E. You can follow uh, the podcast at Awaken Soul Pod. You can send us any feedback, questions, comments, concerns, theawakensoulpod at gmail.com. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do so at 614-547-2039. We are the number one podcast for the culture, and we out this bitch. Peace. We out. This has been a presentation of the Break Media.
we generally call it the catastrophe because we feel like it wasn't a riot. We didn't. We were not the perpetrators. We were the victims. <laughs> but it took 80 years to get the state of Oklahoma to acknowledge that. <laughs> the Tulsa Race Massacre is believed to be one of the worst incidents of racial violence in American history. From May 31st to June 1st in 1921, as many as 300 people were killed, hundreds were injured, and thousands of buildings were destroyed. On June 1st, they began to systematically destroy neighborhoods, and they had airplanes dropping things down on people's houses, and they had made up their minds to clear the entire area of black people. It started after a newspaper reported a black man tried to sexually assault a white woman. Though it's still uncertain what exactly happened, many did not believe that story. The Oklahoma Historical Society said the most common explanation is Dick Rollins stepped on Sarah Page's foot when he entered the elevator, causing her to scream. A group of armed black men went to the courthouse to offer help protecting Rollins once they heard talks of lynching. A crowd of white men was also on the scene. A shot was fired and the riots began. My parents were very distressed because here they are with five kids and the schools had been, I went to Dunbar School, and that was reduced to just rubble. I mean, they blew it up. Crowds of white rioters went to the Greenwood District, known as Black Wall Street. It was home to an affluent African-American community with banks, hotels, theaters, and new homes. They took my eight-year-old brother, too, where they were holding all the black men. And we didn't know because we lived on one side of town and they lived on the other. We thought they were locking up the non-blacks too. But it so happened that it didn't occur that way. What they did was to disarm and lock up all black men. And then they said to the mob, there's nothing out there now but women and children. So you can do whatever you want to do. And that was when the real terrible things started to happen. It ended when the city was placed under martial law and National Guard troops were deployed. But Black Wall Street was devastated. Survivors never received compensation for what they lost. Hey, thanks for watching. If you like this video, check out these other videos from USA Today to stay up to date with all the latest news. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.